We keep them down here. There are some simple rules which we insist you follow. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. You pass them nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. They have their own felt tip pens. No staples or paper clips in their paper. Use the sliding food carrier, no exceptions. If they attempt to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes. Above all else, never forget what they are. And what are they? Friendables! Two friends talking about Hannibal Lecter. Hi, this is Mac. And this is Eris. And uh, Dr. Chilton still insists we wear these muzzles. I don't know why. We didn't do nothing wrong. I don't know. I've been good for weeks. Yeah. I've been good for hours. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm proud of your progress. Thank you. Thank you. This is a very positive uh, state criminal hospital for the insane. Or, yeah, I mean, I think we've got, like, you, you got to start locally. Yeah. You know, so we've carved out our little corner and we're, um, you know, it's not positive vibes only because honestly, like, letting out your negative emotions is good too. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Our first full episode, we mm-hmm. are going to be talking about the thing that started it all. Uh, Thomas Harris's 1981 thriller novel, Red Dragon. Yeah. And it's interesting. He's a, a very commercially successful author who yeah. has written like six books. Yes. Yeah. And really only two of them were all that successful. Yeah. Like Silence kind of ran away. And Red yeah. Dragon was pretty successful. Silence ran away a little bit. And then Hannibal was like the big book of that summer right. because it was the sequel to Silence he- of the Lambs. Thomas Harris is weirdly enough kind of like when you meet somebody who is like, yeah, I want to publish a novel and become a bestseller. They, they're they kind of thinking about the career of Thomas Harris. Mm-hmm. Couple of books right. that made such a big splash that it's like royalties and movie deals and all this kind of stuff. Like they're not when they, they're not talking about Stephen King who writes every damn day, right? Pages and pages and pages a day and publish like millions of pages by now. Right. Um, they're thinking about you know the dude who wrote one really awesome book and is just coasting on it. Yeah. Forever. And you don't get rich writing a book. Right. No. Ever. No, no, yeah. You get rich selling the movie and TV rights to the book. Right. Which yeah. that's where he got it got the money because that happened. Oh, absolutely, obviously, for sure. Notably yeah. several times over. I think Red Dragon is his strongest book. I'm gonna go yes. out on that ledge. Yes. There was a lot of stuff I really like well, and yeah. we'll talk about it later, but Red Dragon is I think his it's the strongest, and it's also the most horror novel e. I don't know I, if I I co-sign onto that because okay. I think Hannibal, the book Hannibal, is pure gothic horror. No, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I'll push back a little bit on that, but yeah. yes, ultimately I think we're on the same page that this yeah. uh, this started all, and it is I think his strongest effort. But I also think mm-hmm. he he there was no hype surrounding him. There's also point. that too. Yeah. yeah. By the time you get to Hannibal, you're like, I know some fucked up shit's gonna happen. Right. You know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But Red Dragon, you're like. If you just say you're picking this up at a bookstore because it's new and not, you know, yeah, you're, you're kind of no like... Yeah, with no other reference to it. Red yeah. Dragon, okay, sounds interesting. I've never heard of this guy before. You read the back ad copy yeah. and try to figure out and you're like, is it like a, is it like a crime detective novel? Right. Like, yes. Well, I mean, but, you, yeah. you're looking at it and it, it definitely leans into the Hannibal Lecter of it all because it, it says, it, like on the cover of the paperback, uh-huh. r- relatively recent printing of it. Says yeah. the, the introduction to Hannibal Lecter or something yeah. along those lines, and then the the cover of the first edition says a novel by the author of Black Sunday, which some people knew Black Sunday 
gives, you know, mm-hmm. big nuclear bomb, you know, hot air balloon. Not hot air balloon. <laughs> what the hell am I thinking of? Uh, like the, the blimp. A blimp. Oh, at yeah, the Super yeah. Bowl, yeah. And, and it had some attention, so that was the big selling point before anybody knew what Hannibal Lecter was. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. He, he wrote so few books, but I think that's because he really hates writing. Uh, I, I, I want to say it's yeah. in Stephen King's On Writing, he talks about, or it might be Dance Macabre, how he talks about how uh, he, he got to know Thomas Harris a little bit, but Thomas Harris hates writing that much. That's why he's only put out that many books yeah. in, in I can see that. several years. I believe he was a journalist, a crime journalist. I believe that's like right. He worked on the, like the, the mm-hmm. crime beat and the yeah. you know, police blotter and stuff like that. Um, but I think this novel also highlights the, the thin connective tissue between crime, crime detection, and creativity. So it, I, I get the sense that Will Graham's very much a stand-in for him, and he's yeah. sort of repulsed by his insight yeah. And doesn't like to dwell on it. Yeah. But it also is incredibly lucrative for him. Yes. So he can't stop. You got a chance to read the forward, right? I did, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I think that's, I mean, I, he almost says as much with like, Will wasn't like easy to him, not in the way that Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. was easy. He knew Will. He could follow the detective around, you know, just hovering over his shoulder. Like, but Will is also, can be very much like, He's the everyman for the male ego. Every dude thinks, well, of course, if I walked into a crime scene, I could figure it out. Like, that's yeah. Will. It's like, that's true. He's a regular dude. He's got a wife and kid. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to be like, I just want to be by myself, you know, kind of thing. And then he gets wrapped up into this whole like, but you're the best that ever was. And I need you to help solve me this crime. And he's like, I guess I am the best. So I guess I'll walk in. And frequently is by himself. He doesn't, he, there's very little scenes where he's interacting with other cops. Mm. For the most part, he's in those crime scenes after the crime has happened, but alone. And he's like walking through and going like, oh yeah, it seems like he used this and he used that or, you know, like kind of following just the, the footsteps. You mentioned that forward. Like he, he talks about how you must understand that when you're writing a novel, you are not making anything up. It's all there and you just have to find it, which is absolutely will graham's thing yes like he yeah like, he harris, insists on it he's he, like I'm, yeah yeah harris the ma- evidence is there you make jumps that people can't explain right. like <laughs> harris makes writing a novel and solving a crime scene essentially interchangeable acts mm-hmm. i'm doing a lot of hand gestures for, the, uh, <laughs> for a for audio only for chilton who has the video camera at the top <laughs> of the cell. like we're talking about the ford you know we have will graham who's who's harris mm-hmm. i was really interested when he's talking about how Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. the character, mm-hmm. scared him. Yeah. When he's writing it. Yeah. Because he came so fully formed, there was no digging or discovery. It was just immediate he was there. And Thomas was like, the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy and why are you in my brain? Right. And I... I think so. This is a question that has been posed to me by other people, by coworkers, by friends, or whatever. It's like, oh, that's that's the guy who wrote like the four. Mm-hmm. You know, usually they say three, and I'm like, actually, there's a fourth. Sorry, no, <laughs> sort of. Um, you know, Hannibal Lecter series, and he's like, why didn't he write more? Hannibal Lecter's such a good character. I'm like, I agree with you. Hannibal Lecter's such a great character. My guess is Thomas Harris was like, this was hard to write, and I don't like writing about him. Uh-huh. Hannibal Lecter freaks me the fuck out and I'm done with him. It, it gave him a comfortable life, but also probably gave him some nightmares. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was not comfortable in the presence of Dr. Lecter, but 
not and not sure at all that the doctor could not see me. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Ooh, that. Yeah. yeah and that's that that's, was Harrison. That's my forward. shit right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, I get you. Yeah. Graham is a is still a character to him. He knows yeah. that Graham is a character. Yeah. There, <laughs> like there's not so much. This is the third time I've read this book, and there were so many times where I was like, yes, because I, I I was so in that mood mode of comparing the creative act to the detect act of detection. Uh huh. And I was like. Uh, they, they talk in the passage about how Graham has this tendency to mimic people as he, yes. uh, yeah. in, in, in their way of speech. And I've done that since I was a kid. Yes. And I was like, I, I get Graham on some level. Maybe that's the white guy in me just being like, yeah, I could, I could work for yeah. the FBI. I yeah. could do it. Yeah. I could do it. Actually, I mean, it's funny because I actually, I see myself a lot in Graham too. And maybe it's just like, it's a very good everyman character. Yeah. Because I have often like... People with high empathy, where you like, and, right. and high, it's un, it's not mentioned here, but my guess, high social anxiety. Mm-hmm. He doesn't deal well with people, and not to say, but he knows people. He knows people yeah. really, really well, but at the same time, he's just like, oh, y'all, I kind of just want to play with my dogs. He can look at so it objectively, he, like yeah. the, the behavior of people. Like, it's yeah. almost, yeah. But if you look too hard, you see too much. Yeah. And like, mimicry is a, is a great way of like, pack bonding. Basically, of like, okay, now you won't eat me because I'm exactly like you. Right. And that's what Will Graham does, and that's what I did when I was a kid. I was like, I like what you like, even if that was ultimately not true. Here's a big question I think we can get to before our commercial break. And it's one that I I was not struggling with, but dwelling upon a lot in this book. I read a book last year called What We See When We Read by uh, Mendelssohn. And and it's sort of a semi-graphic novel, actually, but it goes through just the science of reader attention and and what we see in our mind's eye when we read. And talking about how it's it's very impressionistic. Like, you just see flashes of something and you don't really get a full picture of a character. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that that somewhat strengthens it but also ruins it is when there is a filmed adaptation of the thing you're reading. That you yeah. you have a hard time not seeing the film, not seeing Gregory Peck when you read *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Right. Yeah. So here's a question I have for you because this is a unique situation. The characters in this story have been adapted multiple, multiple times mm-hmm. and to varying degrees of iconicness. Yeah. If that's a word. The question I have for you, and you can bounce it right back to mm-hmm. me, because uh, who do, who do you see when you read about Hannibal Lecter? Okay. Yeah, because in this book, I know I noticed this because like yeah, I've seen a lot. Yeah. Um, I see s- someone as much as like I love Mads, mm-hmm. Ma- Mads Michaels. I Michelson, might be pronoun- I yeah. Think, yeah, I see someone who is closer to Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. if only because I feel like they do have some description of Hannibal Lecter, like mm-hmm. a small mousy man with like red eyes, and so I see someone who's closer to that of the Anthony Hopkins kind of character a little bit more of the eloquence of Mads Michelson, mm-hmm. but like small stature, still very upright, but very like mousy because he was supposed to be like, so unassuming that that's why people didn't notice the fact that he was like the devil essentially. That's who I picture. Yeah. Who do you picture when you see, when you read about Will Graham? It goes back and forth, to be honest, between someone who is wholly unrealized, a figment entirely of my own imagination. When you're doing pure reading. Yeah, yeah when I'm doing pure reading. Yeah. And Hugh Dancy. 
his Will Graham. And I know part of it is like anytime they mention his blonde hair or his like very dark skin, that's what brings me back into another person, like mm -hmm. vaguely but messed up surfer dude, <laughs> basically my head. Right. Definitely not, uh, God, what, why am I blanking on his name? Who plays him in uh, Ratner's uh, Red Dragon? Uh, oh, Ed, Ed, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe vaguely closer to there but yeah it's more like you know kind of a thin rangy dude dark skin blonde hair i mean pretty much exactly how they describe him in the book i just feel yeah. like he's surfer dude you, florida surfer man your, your thoughts are not uniformly invaded by some adaptation of the character not not as much yeah okay. yeah here's the big one i think this is the challenging one because it is the character that is played that is never played twice by the same actor uh-huh jack crawford oh because yeah. in Manhunter, he's played by one actor. In Red right. Dragon, he's played by another actor. Yeah. In Silence of the Lambs, he's played by yet another actor. Yes. And then Lawrence Fishburne in, uh, yeah. in the TV show. This one, I will fully admit, and I'll just go ahead and answer for yeah. Francis Dollarhide as well. Okay. They're both played by the NBC Hannibal people. I loved their mm -hmm. portrayal so much sure. that I have a very hard time seeing them as anybody else like to the point where even though it's like my comfort food i had talked about in the intro even silence of the lambs i was like that's not jack crawford yes it is jack crawford like yeah. it's not <laughs> so yeah no that has been totally overtaken by yeah. the um adaptation portrayals i think we'll probably go to our commercial break uh, at this point, since uh, our producer Z, hi producer Z, hey. uh, is uh, giving us the signal, and that's a good enough stopping point, uh, and we'll go to our commercial break. For our commercial break, we'll go to Eris's recipe corner. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where she's getting this these ingredients. Now, it's important to remember that since we're both in cells in the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, mm -hmm. we actually have never seen each other. <laughs> she's yeah. in one cell i'm yeah. in the next cell we yeah. can hear each other through those glass partitions but that's about it yeah i mean i can make i mean i, I can make a pretty good guess about what you look like or I'm, maybe I, what you like i look exactly like Lawrence fishburne oh that's amazing <laughs> oh my gosh oh my god i i i loved you in in the matrix this is pretty good but matrix like, is pretty good yeah for this episode's recipe it is my take on a uh, beef stroganoff which I have to admit leans a little bit closer to the Hungarian porkle, uh, if you've ever had uh, that or had someone make that for you. Basically, it's less mushroom, way more paprika. You can use either flank steak that you can cut into strips, a beef flank steak, cut it against the grain, or if you're feeling super cheap, you can uh, use like beef stew. Usually they have like packets cut at your butcher of like beef stew tips or something like that. That works out pretty well. If you're more on the kind of like uh, minimize the big ags uh, impact on the environment, um, I would say aim for the thigh or the calf region of your average dick hole. So, you know, whoever asshole who cuts you off in traffic, you just go ahead and go ahead and get a, a thigh section if you can. Calf will work too in case you're only able to get a leg, you know, but you're going to want like a good, a couple of pounds of meat there. Mm -hmm. um, I am being told... Right now, yeah, he's saying I shouldn't talk about cannibalism. Who's telling you that? Oh, Chilton kind of, okay, he, like... <laughs> he paged over for a second and he was just like, eh. You are a dark passenger? Because that's another serial killer franchise. Oh, like, no, oh, no, no I'm not yeah. possessed, I'm pretty sure. I would know if I was possessed. I'm also getting you... some signs that maybe I should stop talking about that. So, okay. Uh... <laughs> So yeah, yeah, you start with your beef. You're going to go ahead and brown it. Uh, just a little bit of salt and pepper. 
uh, you're gonna go ahead and remove that from the pan, keep the pan hot. You're also gonna want to roughly chop a, an onion, a Vidalia, a white onion usually works well. I would stay away from like the purple onion. And then you're gonna go ahead and put that into the hot pan, go ahead and brown out that onion pretty good. You are adding now an entire 16 ounce can of tomato puree on top of the onion. I usually add in like a good palmful of chili powder and then the equal amount of paprika. And if that scares you, that's okay. <laughs> also uh, another 16 ounces of water to go ahead and like make that sauce. Let that uh, boil for a while. I usually add in like, I, this is when you start to taste test and decide like if you wanna add in more stuff or here and later, if you need more salt for more, more pepper. Sometimes I will add in a little bit of Worcestershire sauce just to like give it an extra little like tangy zest to there. Then you're gonna add in the beef and you're going to put the lid on it and you're gonna let that simmer for basically as long as it takes like egg noodles to cook. And I use about three cups of egg noodles, put that in a separate pan obviously um, to let that go ahead and cook on its own. When the egg noodles are done, you know, drain them out. Um, then I know this sounds bizarre, but I use Greek yogurt instead of sour cream. And you're gonna add in about a cup of Greek yogurt uh, into basically your, your beef stroganoff there. Go ahead and turn that heat down to low from where it was about like uh, medium high or so. Stir in that Greek yogurt and then you played it. It's good, That's it's good to go. Good deal. Yeah, cumin included if you want. Yeah. And this was Eris's recipe corner. Yeah, because I Hannibal Lecter taught me how to cook. And this is I'm I don't use the whole food ingredients that he does. I, I do what I can. That's all he asks. Yeah, yeah. I think we would first of all like to thank our producer Z for producing the show. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's unusual the podcasting experience I get where I'm not also staring at a clock and a computer screen. You so, can just concentrate on the material. I yeah, just, I'm just here for the for the for the the lulls, really. Mm -hmm. Also, we want to thank you, the listener. Uh, if you enjoy our podcasting voices, they are available in far too many formats, possibly. <laughs> Uh, on PartyApocalypse.com, our ongoing Star Trek rewatch podcast, mm -hmm. The Holodeck is Broken, is smack dab in the middle of season one of TNG. Mm -hmm. Z and Eris's show, uh, As the Myth Turns, is available in its entirety, as is The Fourth Wall, the radio drama we produced a few years back. Uh, more shows are coming. Uh, announcements probably not 100% ready on that. Just be watching this space. We'll talk about it on this show and check mm -hmm. out our other shows. Uh, anything else you want to plug, Eris? Uh, I've got uh, a book recently out. Uh, the if any of these stories goes over one thousand words, uh, this whole book, this entire book will explode. Uh -huh. uh, I better get the title right. Uh, <laughs> it, it is available on Amazon, and you can find links to it on PartyApocalypse.com. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats. My new novel, uh, The Once and Future Orson Welles, will be available in ebook and paperback from Amazon. So be checking those out. Okay, so we'll go back to our episode. So when I'm reading, I have a very hard time thinking of Lawrence Fishburne as Jack Crawford. Okay, yeah. Mainly because Crawford is so subdued in the book, and Crawford in the show mm. is sort of a, a a short fuse of a character. Yeah, much more dynamic as opposed to mm -hmm. just like lingering. 
and there was yeah there was the one it was almost an, it was anecdotal about uh, uh crawford that made me think of Lawrence fishburne i just remembered when you ran those field exercises at quantico when that trainee told you he assumed something i don't remember that here's you made him write assume on the blackboard you took the chalk and started underlining and yelling in his face when you assume you make an ass out of you and me both that's what you told him as i recall and that like that struck me as Fishburne, Fishburnian, yes, yes. because he was spending a lot of time yelling at people. Yeah, yeah, he Where, did. Whereas, like, Scott Glenn in The Science of the Lambs is, like, practically asleep throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, Dennis, uh, I'm trying to remember who all plays him in, uh, okay, uh, Harvey Keitel plays him in Red Dragon. Almost, like, I yeah. can't think of his face. Yeah. And then Dennis Farina plays him in Manhunter. And they have say. sort of a, almost a Commissioner Gordon vibe to them. But okay. that's also, See, I, mean, I in the like book. See, I feel like Commissioner Gordon's maybe a closer yeah. between the two. Because I know Crawford from Silence of the Lambs, the movie, mm-hmm. is almost cheerful about it. Yeah. Like, he has a little bit of, like, now he, he is much more sedate than Fishburne. But he kind of has a... Very easygoing, relaxed, smiley kind of atmosphere, Absolutely. which I never really picked up that aspect of the books, other than the fact that like Crawford in the books is like mm-hmm. the Fisher of Men. So there's probably yeah. some like smiling involved to like bait people, or just to yeah. Be, but he is yeah. more like I'm going to manipulate you to wherever I need to go, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and he knows it and he hates it, which is why he fights with Bloom in the middle of the book. Fishburne is a little louder than Crawford's written as. Yeah. But at least for me, it's it's enough that I can and, kind of pull it there. You know, there. Fishburne's not loud by nature. No. Like, Morpheus is a quiet and reserved character. Right. And Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, this hell. is the loudest I think I've ever seen Fishburne. Because I've seen him yeah. a couple other things, but like one of them I'm pretty sure was a straight up romance. So that was like a way right. different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I know we kind of moved on from it, but I did want to talk a little bit about that sort of criminality detection as a creative mm, act yeah. thing. Because like when it finally does come together, I've had that feeling. Like Because he yes. talks about how writing the novel is it's all there and you just have to recognize it right right and that creative act of oh the answer's been staring at me the whole time i just had to realize it it's not yeah I'm not conjuring something up out of nothing right i am You're discovering your... what was there yes it's like i just reread my own notes and i forgot i already had this in here yeah kind of thing yeah i didn't yeah like the answer has been staring at me in the face the whole time i mean epiphany is a great word to use because that's exactly what it is it's just even so obvious that harris thinks of graham as a stand-in for a writer Mm -hmm. page 18 in the book i don't know if that's going to actually translate i'll get close to it and see what happens graham had a lot of trouble with taste Often his thoughts were not tasty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a creepy ass line in the context of a Hannibal Lecter book. Sure. Yeah. But it's also like a writer acknowledging his flaws as a writer. Like there are so many blind spots you have when you bring into it. Like mm-hmm. I think Harris is telling us that as far as taste is concerned, yeah. that's not something he can bring into it. Because even when he describes these ornate meals and all the food in there, yes. it's not how it tastes. It's just, oh, the the strange and exotic qualities of it yeah. that he's bringing in. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I, yeah, I, I feel him. Like, oh, I know where my weakness is, but I'm going to try not to dwell on it. 
Yeah, and it's also interesting that he uses like, um, especially in this context of like, it is like a stand-in for writing, and mm-hmm. he, and and Harris says specifically not tasty, right. and the fact that Harris frequently as a writer has issues with specific sense description. Yeah, he's good at visual. He's very good at procedural description. Of, yeah, they did this and then they did this. They took the imprint off of the cheese and then they did this and they did this. But there's no like real detail. He will occasionally go into smell. Yeah. But, like, for the most part, he doesn't have, like, lush descriptions of anything. They're not tasty descriptions. Right. (laughs) He has a problem with taste. (laughs) And I think so many people who have ambitions to writing blanch at it. Certainly when I was early in my writing, I I, I hesitated because I didn't feel like I could describe a moment fully. Mm, Yeah. Using all senses and all perception. Yeah. But then I realized you don't have to. You just have to create enough signals in there so that the reader can become engaged and create mm-hmm. their own image. And I think yeah. Harris does that really well. For sure. And that's why I, I like, this is the third time I read this book and I was like, I, I, I fucking love this book. <laughs> it's I, I good. zipped right through it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it, it was probably the, I read it a few weeks ago knowing that we were going to do this uh-huh. and it was the most leisurely read oh, that I had all year, I think. It's also an easy read. Yeah. It's it's very easy. I mean, like, as much as, like, he gets very technical at times, and, mm-hmm. like, the, the the little tiny moment aside that I will a little bit dump on Harris, he will try to, like, impress you with his knowledge of forensics. Right. And will be like, I get it. They're mm-hmm. fingerprinting people. Even aside from that, it's a very, like, it's a page turner. I mean, yeah. yes, it's a very, that's a very hip word or whatever, but yeah. Consi- considering I, I, I read some Tom Clancy books this last oh, year, too. Oh no. Like, that, that's a guy who floods you with details yeah. and, and makes you kind of annoyed you ever started. Like, this was, Just yeah, details are there and it all feels, mm-hmm. I don't know about real, but plausible. Right. I feel like I'm I'm filling in topics. Do you, is there <laughs> anything in the book that, that jumps out at you that... I, um, so, I mean, I, I came into Hannibal mostly, I mean, I had seen Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. when I was probably way too young, yeah. um, and seen some of the other movies and then came into the show before I ever started reading the books. So where I came from it on, on the book, especially is looking at the characterization mm-hmm. and seeing like how much more depth and also like how they interplay off of each other, how like, it's very clear that Crawford is absolutely manipulating and using Graham, abusing one oh, might yeah. even say. And like Bloom calls him out on it and Crawford's mm-hmm. pissed that Bloom knew right. and brought it up, despite the fact that he already assumed Bloom knew, but he was angry at himself most of all that he's the type of guy who would do this to another person. Mm-hmm. He like there is this big interplay between the idea of like Will is stuck in the middle And you have these serial killers and cannibals and all the bad people. But then you also have Crawford, who frequently uses the same methodology that the serial killers do. Mm -hmm. And Will is stuck in the damn middle. And it's just, like, a really interesting... Like, there is very angel and devil moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I dig those parts. You get a little bit again. Less concisely in one scene... But you have Dollarhide who really does think that he's like the dragon and the coming of the devil. Right. And then you have Hannibal Lecter who's certain he already is. Because it's very and, hinted at. And, and, and seems unaffected him... by that realization. Oh Whereas yeah, he's just like, yeah, it's fine. Dollarhide is put bedraggled by it 
to a certain degree, yeah. but also like sort of excited and it's and, very and, and it's an ecstasy for field him. kabuki. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a performance piece for him. Right. Whereas Lecter is like, I'm the devil. That's yeah, funny. I signed my letter six six six. Yeah, <laughs> funsies. <laughs> Shit. I mean, it actually just connected right now. Ha! Huh. Dollhard fucking films himself. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely theater to him. I mean, yeah. like in a, in a very important way, in the way that movies can be very real and very moving and have important things. Mm-hmm. But like, he has to film himself murdering people. He has mm-hmm. to. Where Lecter never to. did. He didn't need to. And he never had to prove himself to anybody. Eventually, James Gum doesn't have to. Mason Verger doesn't need to. Yeah, Dollar has to because he. Well, I mean, that's his whole thing is he has yeah. to prove himself that he's more True. than who he is. Essentially, yeah. which yeah. is like, oh my god, therapy, my dude. I don't know if therapy would have fixed him. But... No, might contain some bits. So, dropping the the pretext of our podcast that we're in the Baltimore <laughs> Hospital <laughs> yeah. for the criminally insane. Did my you... mom, if you're listening to this, I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> did Did you get a, a twinge? And I do every time I read it that uh, Dollarhide's next victim was living in Tulsa. Page two fifty nine. Absently Dollarhide picks up the film of the softball game and drops it in the wastebasket. He takes the reel from the projector and looks at the gateway label on the box. Bob Sherman, Star Route Seven, Box six oh three, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. No, that's because I, 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 I remember thinking that the first time I read it. I was like, oh shit. Like, oh shit. That's the next victim. Yeah. Literally, yeah. Tulsa, in our town. Like that, yeah. that address doesn't exist. No, but. Beyond, he's... it could be like a P.O. box number. Like, I, that's the thing I couldn't wrap my head around. Like, how is Dollar Hyde making any use of a P.O. box? Right. Well, he um, would probably have to figure out what P.O. box number that, like, which yeah, which uh, which it, post it, office it's it actually is. located. Then, then follow the guy home and then realize. And then just thing. take it out. Yeah. Yeah. Or get the P.O. box next to him and and figure out like a like a weird letter slip up thing. Seems like a lot of extra steps. Yeah, but I mean at the same time like maybe he's done something similar with the leads and the Jehovah's before. Yeah. So I mean maybe. it's kind of one of those things like it's okay to hand wave it in a novel. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, he, goes, he knows just, an address. It's one of those weird details that doesn't add up just because of my own personal experience. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. no, can't do that. Yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely a strange horror thing where it's your back, back door. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, like, there's the right after... Because all the towns to pick, he... All the towns to know. pick. And he, it was kind of genius for him to to kill Freddie Lowndes in Chicago, very publicly. Yeah. yeah. Chicago is freaking the fuck out, thinking the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the dragon is in our town. Yeah. Chicago's next, whereas Tulsa's just... Yeah, yeah. But also, like, you know, drivable distance away. Like it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, no, it makes, it's, that's it, a hard ride. That but like, makes sense. It's the opposite direction from mm-hmm. where he's in St. Louis, right? Oh, a dollar high. Dollar high. Yeah. That's where he's based. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Cause it's kind of vaguely equidistant, honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause I it's a, uh, it makes sense. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah. It's, it's wild. There are some problematic things in the book, but I also think it's, uh, uh, Harris, as much as Harris can in this genre is judging that. Cause you, when men are alone with each other. Uh-huh. They are saying awful things. Oh my god! Yeah. But I, I, I don't think I, I want to believe Harris is not co-signing on it. Just yeah, displaying the quiet horror of men when they're alone. Yes, or when they think they're not being observed. Uh, to to talk about another book, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which was yeah. originally titled "Men Who Hate Women." Right. I mean, this straight up was the original title of the book. Will does not engage with a lot of that. In right. fact, if whatever small engagement he has is almost under his own protest of like. I'm shooting the shit with the boys because yeah. I have to get their fucking files later because they're the cops I have to work with. Right. So, like, he very much doesn't want to be there. Harris, I mean, I will say, he does have some other things yes. that is, like, 
That's not great. He's a man of his generation. Oh, for sure, yeah. But I think he's also maybe slightly ahead of the curve for his generation. He's trying. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he is aware that there is some fuck... And also, I mean, like, but that's that's honestly, as much as I'm sure he sounds like he hates writing, it's part of good writing because, A, that genre, but also it sets up this idea of, like, the Red Dragon clearly has and is a misogynist, has an issue with women. Oh, yeah. And so he is drawing in, like, this is a systematic kind of thing. Like, he's not a blip that was a weird thing that just happened on the radar. This was built. Yeah. The Red Dragon is a thing that was built. 100%. And part of it is because all dudes are nasty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's... Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, you, with me, you get you capture them and can rehabilitate them. Right, yeah. Never put them back out in the yeah. wild. But, yes. Which also makes a weird play because Hannibal has... Also eschews some of that, too. I mean, he... I we'll see he, more, he, I think, yes, in Silence of the Lambs. He, he's he's an in, he's intellectual enough to know, and, and he has a thing about rudeness enough. Yes. To know, like, he has savagery to him, obviously. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But, but also, he doesn't necessarily view anybody as people. Kind of-ish. I think he'd view his sister as people. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the context of the books, certainly he would view Clarice Starling as a, yes. as a person. Yeah. And in the TV show, definitely views Will Graham as a person. Yes, yeah. Which I think brings me to my big question. Obviously, in the show Hannibal, it, mm-hmm. it is eventually formed into not even a subtextual, but a very textual romance between Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. Uh-huh. As a, as a quote-unquote fanable, do you see any of that romantic attraction in, in the context of the book? Of this book? No, a case can be made in, like, fanfic. Sure. I see this particular relationship, whatever, like, there is a mild bit of homoeroticism, but it's more based off of, it's not going to be as, as, as trite and cliche as he sees himself in Will. Mm-hmm. Hannibal does try to get Will to, like, to be like, you could be like me. You could be like me. He like he has it like yeah. like we are the same. You just came here to get the old smell again. Like we have the same thoughts. Will it's more of an idea, almost like an overture to friendship, a little bit. Yeah. See, I always read it as but like manipulative. Like right. it's not a great friendship. It's still very in the context of the book. He hates Will Graham. Oh yeah. Like it's not. There's not conflicted feelings there. He wants to destroy Will. Oh yeah, absolutely. And finally get the last shot in, which he does yeah. after after a fashion. Yes. Whereas obviously in Hannibal, and I think that's the interesting thing about the TV show is that I think it, like when the book Hannibal came uh-huh. out, and it turned out to be a romance between Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter, everybody lost their mind. Yeah. And, and, and there was no way the film was ever going to adapt that part. Yeah, because it was like, oh no. <laughs> and then the TV show came around and said, well, what if we made it? With that, and what if we put right. just enough of Clarice in Will in Will Graham yes. and made that the romance? Yeah, it's all it, it is like a hatred, like, yeah. and it's kind of like I can't. I mean, it's almost like he's pissed that Will didn't choose his route. He like you got so close, you found me, son, yeah. but then you like you went and you shacked up with some lady and her kid. Or How dare it, you? Maybe there's a bit of that, but there's, there's, well, maybe it's more that it's that ego bruising that the, that this man who would pretend to be domesticated yeah. is the one that got, that got me. Like it wasn't yeah. someone who was someone else. Yeah. It needed to be some horrific creature like myself. To do Honestly, that. I think Hannibal Lecter would have been fine if it was Crawford. Or Bloom. Or Bloom. Yeah. I think he would, I think he's pissed as well. Yeah. 
And he's just like, I just, like, I gotta torture you to death now. He realized that, right? Yeah, yeah, fuck you. Lecter is making that sort of realization that we are, that it was a cre- it was creative, creative intu- intuition that that got him. Right. Not Because so, it's not some grand uh, genius right. of, He wanted of there to be more theater to it. Yeah. And there just wasn't. It was just Will Graham who saw a picture he drew. Yeah. And Hannibal's like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts about Red Dragon? I think... Z's given us the signal that we've probably run out of time. Yeah. I just still really like the I hope he's not too terribly ugly. Yeah. <laughs> just just that little note. That last little like Haha, fuck you, Will Graham. Right. It amuses me. It does. Yeah. Cause that's like the most rude thing out of all the whole I'm gonna talk about eating people. That is the rudest thing I think Hannibal's really said. I, I, I think he can imagine that 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 Graham is is very seriously injured by his yeah. run in with, with uh Dollar Hyde at the end. But he doesn't know because he, if my memory serves and we haven't reread Silence of the Lambs yet, there's only one reference to Graham in all of Silence of the Lambs right. the book. He asks Starling about him because he legitimately doesn't know. Uh-huh. There's that, or maybe he's trying to warn off, like trying to scare Starling and yeah. getting too messed up with me, and you'll have you'll have some real problems. Yeah, and and Starling third hand heard that Will Graham is just sort of drinking himself to death in Florida. And has half a face. But yeah, because I don't think he knows, but he just was like, he assumed something bad happened. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's not that hard to guess to assume that. One other thing I would want to dwell on is I think one of my great favorite phrases in the book. I want to talk about the gentle pejorative. Lecter uh, talking to Graham. I'm glad you came. It's been, what now, three years? My callers are all professional, but now clinical psychiatrists and grasping second-rate doctors of psychology with silo from silo colleges somewhere pencil lickers trying to protect their tenure with pieces in the journals and like the like there's this one and then uh malcolm mcdowell in the halloween remake calls uh some of the hospital uh, administrators shirt tuckers and i'm like those yes. I, I, I love the completely g-rated but yes serrated pejorative like pencil yeah. licker shirt yeah. tucker uh, you, I, I, I have seen this thing where it's like you can take any noun, mm-hmm. but you use it with enough vitriol and it becomes a curse. Like you yeah. coat hanger, you absolute yeah. coat hanger. Yeah, and you're like, what does that even mean? What does that even, like, what does that even it mean? It sounds mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, we'll bring us in for a landing. I think uh, Barney's out there giving us the signal that our guest, the podcast listener, must be leaving now. Oh, okay, uh, bye. But pl- come back, and uh, next time we will be discussing the 1986 uh, Michael Mann semi-classic Manhunter, starring William Peterson of CSI fame, Dennis Farina as Jack Crawford, mm-hmm. Tom Noonan as Dollar Hyde, and Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, the, really? the great unsung Hannibal Lecter. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. This is going to be brand oh new my for gosh. you. Yeah. Brand new. I'm so excited. Yeah. Eris uh, has never seen it, which yeah. is surprising. Shelton's going to have to put me in like the full straight jacket for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about it then. And uh, right after that, we'll talk about the Brett Ratner film. I think that's going to be a little bit of a letdown. But then we're going to move yeah. on to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. A lot to talk about there. And uh, we won't stop until we're finished, which is a strange thing to say. Bye. Bye. Bye.